KXSFLP, San Francisco, 102.5 FM, streaming at the World Wide Web at KXSF.FM. Hey, you're tuned into the Frequency Uplift. One more time, thank you to Radio Patio for holding down with their special guest from Barrio Manouche, Luis Jimenez. And uh, stay tuned. Check into those guys on the web every, every Sunday from 8 to 10. And now you got us, the KXSF, on the World Wide Web, but also on the terrestrial airwaves at 102.5 FM. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And tonight we have a special, a special time. We're uh, hosting the Oakland poet Deli Nzinga, a amazing spoken word artist, theater activist, community organizer from Oakland, and we're excited to bring her on. But I think the very first thing is to play a little music and set the stage to begin. New music from Damon Locks and the Black Monuments Ensemble out of Chicago. Keep your mind free. Interesting happened today. Yeah, some crazy nut bashed up a lot of cars at the disco. Yeah. Maybe that's a warning. Warning? Yeah. Pretty soon.
And that was out of Chicago, Damon Locks and the Black Monument Ensemble. Their new release now, completed in quarantine and uh, during the summer of 2020, collaborative multi-generational collective with folks from 9 to 52 years old, instrumentalists, Angel Batwith, Ben Lamarquet, Dana Hall, Eric Smith, and a host of singers holding it down, a jubilant choir, really, like the civically engaged activism on bands like Voices of East Harlem back in the 60s, and Max Roaches, we insist, but brought to this fraught moment. Incredible visual artist as well, and we are Excited to host Ideli Nzinga, Oakland poet, coming up in just a moment. But uh, I want to have to take care of a little bit of business. A little bit of Fela in the background, movement of the people. But uh, to begin, I want to thank our frequency partners. You may have noticed the shift on the terrestrial airwaves at 102.5 FM. We transition over at 10 p.m. and at 4 a.m. Our frequency partners, San Francisco Public Press, bringing you brilliant news and analysis, public affairs programming. We thank them for holding it down for the last six hours. And now you got us here at Texas FLP, San Francisco. Gotta take care of a little more business. Then we'll bring you a track from the poet herself. Also known as Word Slanger. And we'll get that going in just a second after this word of gratitude. Support for KXSF San Francisco Community Radio is provided by Babylon Burning, San Francisco's oldest screen printer. Babylon Burning is a San Francisco legacy business offering full-service screen printing for your band or company. Located in San Francisco's Soma District at 63 Bluxom Street, Babylon Burning has served the Bay Area since 1976. Their website is babylontee.com. That's B-A-B-Y-L-O-N-T-E-E.com much more than word on page. Lights, action, all stage. It is religion I practice. This black art is spiritual. This is my blood you see written on my body like tattoo ink. It is of me, pulled from an open soul. Not my voice, this scream is my ancestor's cry. I am but the hand that holds the pen. I remember to remember in holy sample sacraments, direct, indirect, misdirection, elevated symbols, inverse images, metaphors of ocean floors reveal me naked in the marketplace, my head turned towards home. The images of me created by others wash over me like a pregnant Nile. I am that I am. 
A resurrection of self in the valley of shadow. Resilient in recreation like a wildflower nurtured by moonlight on the side of a burning hill. Created of myth by a mouth like my own. I live the story as I write my way home. I am she who makes power tremble at my silence as I sit in the dark, becoming... Often alone, but never afraid. My imagination wants its own room. I'm a myth maker, a namer of things and ways. I own thunder words. They have hidden sunshine in my mouth. When I open it, paths are made clear. I would be bread feeding millions. Tear at this till it's gone. Fill your souls and nourish your mind. Pray with me in glyphs torn from the flesh of our collective memories. I have dreamed you against stormy skies, tall walking, beautifully invincible, with my words like gri-gri written on your back, spilling from your mouth, burning in your eyes. Saw us in a movie. The words was weapons. We was an army of dreamers with stars around our waist and black doves around our head. I wrote it on waist like an incantation holding the moment and us until we are as bold as the words on the page. And thank you for tuning in. That was Ayodele Nzinga from Oakland, a uh, poet and theater artist and community activist who uh, we are lucky enough to have on the phone with us now from Oakland. Uh, Ayodele uh, is, let me get my introduction here, is an Oakland-based art visionary, a cultural theoretician, a practitioner a practitioner of, uh, of, of the arts who, in the tradition of the Black Arts Continuum, uses performance to foster transformation and community well-being in marginalized uh, communities. She holds a Master of Fine Arts in Writing and Consciousness, a Doctorate of Philosophy in Transformative Education and Change. We just heard her track as the word slanger 13Z and she has worked with some of the most talented performers in the Bay in various capacities to bring life to a long list of creative endeavors as the original artistic director of Recovery Theater and a founder of the Lower Bottom Playas, incorporated a theater company out of West Oakland and a founder as well of the Black Arts Movement Business District, a community development corporation in Oakland, an accomplished poet as well, as is obvious uh, she is the author of Horse Eaters 2017, and most recently, Sorrowland Oracle, published in 2020, both on Nomadic Press in Oakland. Are you there, Adele? I'm here, coming to you from Maloney Land in the town. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Thank you so much for coming on and being part of our Second Sunday's Poets and and bringing your wisdom and your words uh, to the radio waves tonight. I'm pleased. I'm very, very pleased always to find spaces that welcome the work. Mm. So, um, I mean, I've heard you re read online a couple of times, and you're a brilliant performer and a brilliant uh, writer, obviously. 
Um, I hadn't known of this, uh, the music work that you just shared with me. And so it was lovely to be able to put that out. Um, could you maybe start off with uh, a poem from your most recent work, Sorrowland Oracle? Okay. Got a little something for you. Thank you. This piece is called Dirt. The people. Slowly returning to the land. Slowly. Slow food. Looking for sustenance in the sustainable, green way. Leaning on unknowing. Relearning. Undoing. Re-remembering what we never should have forgotten from dust to dust. How do we forget that? Two-thirds water. How we forget that? God alchemy. Mimic nature. God's law is nature. Dust, no. How we forget from dust to dust. We are dirt and water. Stardust in God's tears. How we forget? The dust? No. Sawdust and tears. How we forget? Looking for heaven, killing it daily. Looking for God a billion miles away from the concrete sea, from the neon sky. You can't find a face. Ask yourself why. And turn back. Don't trust the left or the right. Turn back. Now, Jesus turned water to wine. Sand to dust might be the trick this time. Pull a Lazarus for all of us. Make us one half as smart as God made us. How could we forget? Sawdust and tears. The arrogance of misspent centuries against a few million years. We just stardust and tears. Sunsets, moons rise, rituals of stardust and tears aside, nature will abide. Sunsets, moons rise. We were never meant to sell dirt or water. Mimic nature, and we don't need antibiotics. Dust to dust, slowly finding sustenance in the sustainable. No garbage cans, a, a one-tree kind of world, green for real. Back to all you got is what your hands make. Sun's set. Monsanto didn't mimic soul and soul, fast magic, sleight of consciousness. The sun will set. Cloned sheep, flanking beef, low cancer, for everybody. Live long enough, murmured the pathologist. We are the cancer, moaned the mage. Stardust in tears. In desperate need of unlearning, turning, leaping backwards. Don't trust the left or the right. Mimic nature. Slow down. Turn. Revere. Emulate God alchemy, nature, the only law, blueprint for the living, dust to dust, sunset and moonrise. Plagues are cured 
by plague. Nature abides, always and forever, God alchemy, the only law. How we forget to remember. A piece was called Dirt from Sorrowland Oracle. That's a beautiful piece of work. I've been really uh, moved by both hearing you read and by the work um, here. Um, you know, as clearly you're such a powerful reader in pursuit of of community healing and um, your poems. I mean, even the arrangement of the word on the text. I mean, I've I've been really struck as I as I read through Sora Land Oracle about the how how that's arranged and and written and holding such powerful and multiple meanings really in in many places but you know really powerfully speaking and with cadence and rhythm to the the primacy of poetry as a as an oral transmission as an oral tradition so i'm i'm curious how you see your work as part of that sort of ancient continuum as a as a public and community engaged art that is evolving as we speak Art is extremely powerful. All you have to do is look at how much energy they put into television and media. Mm. Basically, we're programmed, we're, we're offered a reality. Words are really, really powerful. And I know that people are fond of saying you know, banal things like sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. In my opinion, that's what you tell people who aren't good verbally mm. because words make things. Language itself contains a worldview. So dealing in words is like dealing in the building blocks, in the building blocks of reality. I had a professor, Rachel Martin, who shared something I've never forgotten. She said, words create reality, and then they hide their role in having done so. So I think that the first step in building community is like the first step in a lot of things. You have to get people's attention. And then if you're lucky enough to be able to get people's attention, then you have to say something worth hearing. So I like to think I serve mental groceries in a really hungry world. I'm often told that, you know, I was thinking that. So I say things that people think but don't say. So, man, did I answer your question? Absolutely. I mean, it is clear that um, the words are serving an important purpose and of an important bunch of of sustenance, and I think, you know, we are we are hungry for for meaning in in this sort of media desert of uh, of of yeah superficiality for for one of a better word. I mean, your work is clearly um, at times very agitational, and there's a a deep examination of uncomfortable truths and a and a, and a fierce political critique central there. Um, so, you know, it's also clearly very deeply personal. And I, I reading in Sarland Oracle, I really loved 
the two poems, Inked and Ink, as a as sort of counterpoints. I know there's another one that you thought of as a as a counterpoint to Inked, um, but you know, examining the limitations of of setting things and attitudes in ink or stone, you know, having that flexibility of mind, having that, um, you know, in in that one case of one poem, a pursuit of a performative kind of masculinity in the second in pursuit of some kind of artistic meaning and authenticity so you know really the open quality of those beautiful lines um in in this work and in in the other poems in this book um speak to that change that transformation that naming of of things can you tell us a a little bit about how you see What's your process like in writing and the pursuit of your poetry? Hmm. Sometimes the poems write themselves whole cloth. Mm. They start off as perhaps a repetitive line in my head. Once I put pen to paper, it's almost like the pen moves by itself. Um, There's a, a conversation going on in the work. My work speaks to itself. There are intertextual connections between horse eaters and this work. Those intertextual connections stretch out into other works. Within the book, Mm. pieces speak to each other. So art making for me is a way of having a conversation. I've often been told I talk a lot. And so, obviously, I like doing it. So, this is a way making art. Have a conversation with a lot of people at one time. And the work bites itself and regurgitates itself because we're still having the same conversation. My work is about human beings striving. It comes from a really black lens because that's the body I inhabit in this particular existence. And so inhabiting that body, I have inherited that history. And I find that curious intellectually because blackness doesn't exist. Just like whiteness doesn't exist. They're both constructs. Exactly. And blackness exists because whiteness wanted to be, mm-hmm. and so it needed a counter. And so it's a very odd thing to, to carry a banner almost for a mythical army, but that mythical army has an inherited history and operates inside of a continuum inside of the myth of whiteness. Mm. And so at the end of the day, the work I do is to deconstruct that myth to one, lay bare its reality. This is how this feels. This is the truth of that. This is what that kind of thinking is wrought. And I think it's dangerous. Um, a question I like to pose is, how long do people think God will cry? So, and, and do you ever think the other shoe will drop? And so it seems like my ability to be human, which is what we all are, is somehow hinged to this thing of, of deconstructing these two constructs that have us in a particular kind of dance. And the depth and even the depravity of this dance Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I think it endangers mankind altogether. Yeah. So I'm concerned about balance, balance in nature, balance in humanity, the right for us all to be fully human. And so all the work, all of that, the theater, the essays, the poetry, from one volume to another, are one large conversation. Mm. So that's kind of the process. Sometimes I, I want to write something deliberate, um, but there's, there's a bit of channeling that goes on. And when the channeling wants to happen, I get out of the way and I let it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's beautiful and I see it, um, you know, as, a, as that dialogue that's carried on with the public and with the, our political realities and with um, just, you know, the, the, our, our identities both as human and, and as the constructed identities that we, we have been forced into in so many ways. So it strikes me that, um, you know, you, you are definitely part of a continuum of artists from the black arts movement. There's a lot, you have a lot written a lot about that and, and certainly done a lot of community organizing, um, in that kind of vein. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, how you came to writing at first, like what, what sponsored, what, what sponsored, not really what sponsored you, but what inspired you? What was your, your, your loves in, and that made you come to writing in the theater and, and, you know, maybe a little bit about your influences and mentors and, you know, who should we be reading beyond you? I, um, I like to say I was raised by lions. Mm. Um, I, uh, live in a semi-magical universe. Well, it's really a magical universe. I just don't want to scare you. <laughs> um, coming out of, I've always loved words. I, um, I actually don't remember being taught to read or to write. I just remember always doing it. Now, I know in a logical world, somebody taught me. I, didn't, I wasn't born reading. But I don't remember the process of learning, only the process of doing. I had a traumatic childhood. And a lot of children who suffer traumatic events escape into their imagination. My imagination has always been a very fertile place, and it was easier to be in some imaginary or some futuristic place than in my body. During that time, I I read obsessively. I devoured um, all, all of the books, Aimé uh, César from Negritude, all of the writers of the Harlem Renaissance. And I was in about sixth grade when the Black Panther Party found, um, founded in Oakland. So with all of that in my head and having a difficult time in, in traditional education, um, I had an incident in eighth grade where I was so well-read, I caught a teacher in uh, an educational fiction, and I called it out, and I think I mentally walked out of public school in eighth grade and uh, spent the last four years in the bathroom reading. Reading and smoking, a curious uh, combination (laughs) for um, a truant. I walked into Nora Vaughn's theater. If you don't know who Nora Vaughn is, 
She's the founder of Black Repertory Theater. May she rest in peace. Um, it is the oldest black theater in California. And so when people say they were trained by this person or trained by that person, I have a good fortune of, of, of training on the boards with Nora Vaughn when she was still alive. And this is back long enough ago until people who know the Black Repertory Theater, it didn't exist as they know it. We were in a storefront on Alcatraz, and the place that people know about on Adeline was a dream of Nora's that came, through, came true for her after she died. After having that experience, I walked into an African-American theater class. It was being taught by Marvin X. And I knew who Marvin X was because I'd read the work and also knew about the personality. Um, and I've always had teachers appear at the time when I needed teachers. And Marvin X as a mentor has been a really interesting journey. Marvin is an interesting man. He is a genius amongst many other things. And through the relationship of being his mentee, um, I was also mentored by Amiri Baraka. Um, I've met Sonia Sanchez, Nikki Giovanni, Don Lee, Haku uh, Mutabati, um, Sam Greenlee. So Ismail Reed. I um, this has been a real blessing, not just to read people's work and to admire them, but to actually get to be in dialogue with them and to have them give you feedback on the work that you create. Mm. And so Recovery Theater was founded by Marvin X. Um, he gave me a play to direct. And that started my career as a director. One Day in the Life is actually an autobiographical work that tells about his um, his struggles um, with drugs and race and identity in America. And that play, as far as my research knows, was the longest-running African-American play in North America. I can't find evidence of anything running um, even close to the four and a half years that play ran oh. in various places around the United States. So coming out of that, I founded my own theater company because there just wasn't enough work that had enough meat or substance. And that work then has been attended by people that I've read their work. And then to have them come into the theater and actually interact with the work. People like Alice Walker mm. has been an amazing blessing. Um, I also have had the very, very good luck of meeting some of the most talented artists in the world, anywhere, right here in Oakland. And there's a saying, and they're, they're, it, this saying isn't particular to Oakland, but they say, um, a prophet's never loved at home. So I've got people that I made art with here in Oakland that are literally around the world now mm. doing some really nice creative work. And all of that has been a growing process. I um, attached myself to the black arts movement 
there have been several movements in literature or in black art or black culture. I'm rather suspect of movements overall because it's a, a title that's conferred from outside. It's a title that's conferred from mainstream, yeah. who also tells you when your movement ends. And um, they must be incorrect because, according to them, the black arts movement ended at a certain point in time. And I don't think that they understand that hip-hop flowed out of the black arts movement, like the black arts movement flowed out of the Harlem Renaissance, like the Harlem Renaissance flowed out of the Negro tools, and we can go all the way back to Congo Square, and then we have to cross an ocean. Mm. So it is a, a continuum. It's a continuum that started before any of us were born. And I choose to attach myself to the Black Arts Movement, and the work itself embraces hip-hop um, because that's movement. It's, it's an evolution. But I think that the Black Arts Movement perhaps best captures what culture means for North American Africans here. It's always been our way of getting the news. It's always policy changes after an artist deconstructs something. Poetry will tell you what your real life looks like as opposed to the sitcom that's running on any mainstream television station. Right. When all the newspapers in America are owned by six different families, you need poets. Mm -hmm. You notice in Myanmar, not only are they locking up activists, they came That's for right. the poets first. They did. Poets are first responders. Artists are first responders. We interpret the trauma. We tell the truth about it. We speak truth back to power, and we do it with beauty, which is extremely radical, in my opinion, mm. to still be able to create beauty, even in the most adverse circumstances, and for that beauty to be fierce. Thank you for those words. That's a, a beautiful um, uh, distillation of... of of, of how your work has come and evolved and, and is a continuum. And I, I noticed that that uh, specific kind of bit of semantics there, not the black art movements, but the black art continuum, which um, strikes me as, as important, important to, to speak that kind of language and not, uh, not limit. Um, I want to say that uh, you, we are in dialogue and uh, with the poet Adele, Nzinga from Oakland, who um, has been so gracious as to talk with us and read some poetry. And I, I wonder if I could ask you to maybe read a, a second piece. I know that there's your work is, is beautiful and deep and long, so I'll, I'll let you choose. <laughs> I'm actually going to read the, you know, you, you, you liked ink and like you liked ink. But the companion piece for Ink is actually canon. Mm. And the reason why is Ink is a, a story of a tattooed street banger who's grown up and outgrown the narrative that the tats carry. And I want to read canon, the one that you left out of that, mm -hmm. because 
see. I, I think that you'll understand why Canon is actually the companion piece. They share a lot of language. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is from a different perspective. You think about the things you're told from the time you're very young and how things should work. And I imagine that being told to go further, to go where no one like you has ever been before, is something that a lot of grandparents have told young brown children, young black children. And I think that those were well-meaning intentions, but I think that that's had us end up in some really unlikely places. And sometimes the destination might be suspect. This piece is called Canon. In the bosom, smelling like milk. Knowing this is as close to the honey as they're going to let you get. Bitter to the taste inside the house, walking on the bones. Somebody write this story. Tell what it costs. Brown-eyed dreamers crossing continents with spoons instead of knives. Hungry. Everything that was, gone. Nothing means what it meant. Nobility turned savagery by ethnographers' pinstrokes, untongued and stripped of God. Culture, worldview, and geography, history became a piece of fire, weighing more than it meant in the land of locusts writ in running ink. The testament rested on the backs on which it, the testament text on the backs on which it rested, unrepentant sins confessed by invested priests, rewritten by academics exploited by bankers and polytricksters and other strikes of thieves. Let's go with it down the river, milk and honey on the other side. Someone must play cartographer like clever clarinet, must sit near the door, know the language, must leave the signs, blessed and cursed, sacrifice to sit in the bosom of unholy snakes united, holding the door ajar for nappy heretics to dismantle master's house from the inside the machine where they grind the bones of scholars who feed lies, who are, who are fed lies to feed to others. Yea, though they have seen the inside of the valley, they help to manufacture shadow to get an inside track to the inside. Jockeying for positions, praying tenure, dreaming of being lead sheep, content to eat well until the slaughter, where they too will become delicious morsels. Because wolves don't care to know the difference between new white and real dark meat. Even a cafe au lait with a Harvard degree and a card that lets in caddy, skull, and bone style is on the buffet after selling off his brothers, that truth and theology preacher, and African nations to answer the call. Never mind who's on the phone. This is the room where it happened. Happens. The room 
where the wheels turn, where they wade and sow your forefathers, the room your grandparents died to get in. Can they see us now? Horses, jags, and triple malts are metaphoric tattoo did, proclaiming we are able to be Cain. And the sets we used to bless now mean less than corner offices and glass-covered degrees of separation from grandma's hands, ebonics, and collard greens. Sometimes it gets hard to remember to remember playing the insider to outside game. Sitting in the bosom, far away from where the hunger lives, walks the street, got a nickname. You forget how easy it is to forget. Easier than carrying a banner for an army that got lost. It's warm inside. Ain't this where we sent them? Integrating them deeper into the beast. Ain't this where we wanted to be? Deep in the bosom. Ain't this where they aimed us? Grands and parents with survival on their breath, bidding us go further, sent us looking for milk and honey, prismatic dreams of integration rising from the nation crushed within the nation. Why are we surprised they forgot to remember, forgot wrote down crooked? We were confused, but consistent in sending them to schools that taught them to be ashamed of tales and tongues of fire, invisible stars, country, grammar, and the worldview contained therein, along with our most blatant sin, the color of our skin. We are marched and died, trying to, fade, trying to find a way into living like conscripted slaves, intent on arriving at suspect destinations, hooked on the hooks from the inside out, trading the smell of pragmatic Optimism for a lobster sandwich, a times share on the shore, and the college education, the children who don't look like us. Success is my tribal scar separation from the funk, piss, and grime suffocating the nation, twisted in the nation. The cost is the death of my negritude, discarded like a ceremonial garment which I have risen above. It costs too much to carry. As jackals circle, dreams are drained of liquidity. Post-race seems like a good room to stand in. As ghettos are reclaimed by urban explorers, greening occupied territories without regard for the natives. Now someday this may weigh more, but if you ain't got an army, it don't matter. Teaspoons of pounds is all the same. They write the code and sheep they do follow. Because it's warm inside. Let's go down with it to the river. Milk and honey on the other side. Someone must sit near the door. Know the language. Leave the signs. Someone must sacrifice. Sit in the bosom. Holding the door ajar and Nappy heretics to dismantle master's house from inside the machine where they make their bones grinding bones. It's hard to remember what you came for. 
when everything is for sale and nothing means what you thought it meant when you began. And the distance back to Grandma's fort is greater than geography. And in real reality, you remember, it's not home you're ashamed of. It's you, the runaway, still a slave, resting in the bosom, smelling like milk, manifesting Mama and Daddy's dreams of brown babies rising. Everybody want to be somebody. Only God can judge me. You run your broken tongue across the scars. Become him before this story. Could you carry it? All the dreams backed up in your bowels. No stage to shine. The joy running out. Reality rushing in. The crooked deck being born with a dead man's hand and a ticket to the merry-go-round in your pocket. Even mama's hands can't soothe the pain that pushes out the pores. The road is uphill, covered in broken glass. Somebody write how much it costs to escape, hide from the whirlwind, rest in the bosom, smelling of milk, up nights, burning oil, turning scripture, while ghosts mocked. Ask Colin Powell about the price of sleep once you cross over. Even if you wake up and come back home to the nightmare you wrote, ask how much it costs to pretend you Mike hard as you can till you think you are, if you can remember to remember. Mama didn't raise no fool. And this weighs more than it used to. Could you carry it if it was invisible? It still bent your forehead to the ground, hurt in your back like old age from the moment you were born. If it weighed more than you, would you carry it? Fall apart into ragged pieces that smell of ill-conceived dreams, watercolors in a storm, in the wrong conversation. Mama said, rise. Daddy died, sorrow drowning 1,000 times in his eyes, dead, broken, yet alive, a working man wearing pride like a suit. You could be you. Stand up straight, honey. Look them in the eyes. Do what you need. Get inside the bosom of the machine. Get us some of that milk. Honey, bring that honey home. We waiting for you to arrive. Who knew that the destination itself would be the coolest cut? Most suspect for a boy whose mama dreamed a mighty man from the womb. He's still the usual suspect, even when he do what they want him to do. Now, what else could a thinking man do not to wash away? He is not invisible. Can you see him now? His pockets bulging with needs and promises. Do you see him? Reading Dred Scott and Ralph Ellison, Noble Drew Ali and Marcus Garvey, seeing himself, seeing how he would make it be if he could. He has a map of the road he took. The one that was open, toll-free. You translate what that cost. Do you see it? Pass looking for the exit. Now inside out. Can you see it? Bleeding in the margin. It used to weigh less. It couldn't have cost more. A piece of cannon.
Wow. That was amazing. Yes, and I I have re- read that, and I, I see the, the links and just how beautiful that progression is and, and powerful. Um, thank you. Thank you, Adelia and Zinga, for, for reading that. Um, we are here at KXSF LP, San Francisco, 102.5 FM, uh, with Oakland poet, uh, community activist, theater uh, director, and um, organizer, um, having an evening of poetry and conversation. Um, and that was the piece, Canon, from uh, her 2020 work, Sorrow Land Oracle, available on um, Nomadic Press. Um, I need to. Uh, if you don't mind, Adele, I need to take a minute and do two spots. And if you'll bear with me, I'd love to continue this conversation in just a second. I'll be right here. Do okay. you think? Here we go. Thanks for tuning in. Again, this is KXSFLP San Francisco, the frequency uplift in dialogue and hearing the poetry of Iodeli and Zinga of Oakland. And uh, we have two little spots we have to say, and we'll be right back. It's almost time for KXSF Spring Fundraising Drive. You know, where we briefly interrupt our awesome programming to ask you to support San Francisco Community Radio with a financial donation. If you want to see KXSF grow and end this fundraising campaign before it even begins, go online now to kxsf.fm and click on Donate. Thanks from all of us at KXSF 102.5 FM, San Francisco Community Radio. Now back to the music. performance by Oakland's Coffee Brown and her band on You're invited to an electric performance by Oakland's Coffee Brown and her band on Sunday, April 18th at 6 p.m. as KXSF presents Zeitgeist, a benefit stream for San Francisco Community Radio. The show also features performances by Blue Lotus and the Lagoons Room 308 and performance art by Plie. Get tickets to this exclusive stream by donating at kxsf.fm slash zeitgeist. That's Sunday, April 18th at 6 p.m. See you there. And welcome back. Thank you for putting up with that little break. And uh, we'll have probably one more to do. But uh, we are still here at KXSF LP San Francisco on the Frequency Uplift with Oakland poet, uh, community activist, uh, theater artist and director, um, Adele Nzinga. Um, thank you for the reading, the beautiful work canon from um, Sorrow Land Oracle um, so I wanted to continue the conversation, if that's okay, and uh, talk about um, the the part of your, your, your theater work, the lower bottom players' work, um, uh, the community, uh, community theater out of West Oakland, and you're currently collaborating with playwright, community activist, past Oakland mayoral candidate Kat Brooks to produce a play called Jenga's House, which explores... As, as you say, the communal memories of place and narratives of thriving in the post-gentrification sundown town of West Oakland. So I'd love to hear more about your work in the community as a theater artist and, and director and how that is moving change and confronting displacement and gentrification. Oops. Sorry. The... Button is stuck. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Deli. My button me. was stuck there, and I, 
I couldn't uh, bring you back quickly enough. So I'm sorry to interrupt again. That's okay. I, I think I discerned your question. Uh, Jenga's house is a project. It's not a particular piece of work. Mm. It is um, a collection of black female creatives that we are collecting who then will be telling narratives of black lived reality and place. Um, the piece that we have coming up, there'll be a piece called She that'll be at Ohlone College for a reading in May. Mm-hmm. And so if people want to check that out, if you go on Ohlone College's site or on if you follow NACA Dance Group, that piece will have its first public reading in May. It's about violence um, on black female bodies. It's a very timely conversation. We... Um, Conversations are always being shaped for us to pay attention to. And there's been a lot of attention paid to violence against um, the AAPI community. And uh, just a couple of things. One, the things that are happening there are atrocious. And I would point out that violence against both communities has been an ongoing thing. It's often underreported, and the way that this story is being carried in either to, in a, a, you can't preference suffering. Violence is prevalent in America, and violence against females of marginalized groups is ever prevalent. The most violence encountered by females in America are probably by indigenous women, tribal women. That is the least reported. So the idea of lifting up and reminding people about the ways in which black female bodies are treated is a really timely conversation, and we're looking forward to partnering with some women from Chinatown who can then speak to their narratives and their truth. And the idea of showing people where the paint turns the same color on the wall is often more powerful than being didactic. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, a string of work that will come out of Jenga's house that will be done by black female creators. It's an ongoing project that, um, if anybody knows about my theater work, when I get into a conversation, I'll hang out there a few years. And as I shared with you, all of, all of it's one conversation. It's like being at a big party and just walking into a different room mm. and you walk out and then you're in a different room because the problems that, Face marginalized people aren't aren't a single silo thing. It's not just um, violence against the bodies of people. It is the violence of poverty, the violence of lack of access, the violence of inadequate education, environmental violence, and nutricide is a thing. You surround people by food deserts. Um, health issues and lack of access to proper health uh, is also very violent. 
So I went off sort of on a tangent. But you asked me about work, and that'll get it to happen every time. Yeah. Well, um, the the work that you're doing is, is so brilliant in terms of bringing so many different people together and engaging those kind of dialogues um, across all kinds of barriers. You're also a founder of Oakland's Black Arts Movement Business District, which is a community development corporation that that fronted a festival last year. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about that? And is there going to be an ongoing festival in 2021? And how can people support that struggle against displacement, keeping both historical and current black culture in Oakland in the Bay alive and uh, thriving? One of my artists, Wolfhawk Jaguar, who is currently living in Tanzania, mm. talk about displacement, um, said if you want to stop gentrification or if you want to push back, because stopping gentrification is a misnomer at this point. Right. There was a point in time when that was uh, a, a feasible thing to fight development. But things are planned. We have planning departments in cities, planning departments in states, and the federal government has a plan, and all of these planners speak to each other. But a lot of the things that we think are unfortunate or, you know, darn, we didn't think that doing that would cause that, I, I, I call file. They, these people are planners, so either they're really lousy at their job or what's happening is what they planned. So to push back against gentrification, to make sure that people aren't displaced, to give people a fighting chance. If you want to support artists, that's what you do. You come out and you partake of culture. Like I said, artists are first responders. This is where you're going to get your nose. So it, it does matter um, where artists interact. To a practice like mine that is emblematic of marginalized places across the globe can live in any of those marginalized places, but it's got blood on the ground Mm. in the town. This is where we've built networks. This is where we've helped other people build their careers. That's led to us having a career. To take this up out of Oakland and take it someplace else, what the aspect of what that would be on the artistic lives that I affect and on me personally are comparable to what it is when somebody picks up in a country that's violent and walks, you know, a thousand miles across the country into the border of another country. That makes them a refugee. Mm. Studies show that it takes a refugee, someone who's taken out of his lived reality and forced into another lived reality. It doesn't matter how skilled they are. It doesn't matter if they have degrees. It doesn't matter if they built something. You take them out of their reality and you put them in another reality, and there's a bit of force to this. So there's no choice in this. Refugees don't leave because they want to go where the weather fits their clothes. They go to survive. It takes a refugee roughly 30 years to put his life back together. So when you think about it from that perspective, displacing people to watch a place like Oakland, and it's not just Oakland. This is happening in New Orleans. It's happening in Harlem. It's happening in Los Angeles. You can just keep picking places, 
somebody told me the other day about gentrification in Seattle. Um, and so if you want something to stay where it is, if you've got a tree in your front yard and you want to keep it, you water it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to keep black art and culture in Oakland, and you need to support black arts and, and, and black culture makers. And for me, you asked about BAMD. Um, the acronym BAMD is um, short for the Black Arts Movement Business District Community Development Corporation of Oakland. I was happy making art and leading a, a, a very political discourse through art making I've never been a person that marched. I think that marches are very important. Everything has a place. But the the lane I was walking in was creating art and having this intellectual discourse with other art makers and then having talkbacks with audiences where we've developed an audience that is very diverse. Our theater doors have kept open through mainstream theater goers who like good theater, which allows us then to give away more theater tickets than any other mm-hmm. company of our size in the Bay Area. So we get some very diverse audiences, and our work always comes with talkbacks. And so I always feel like that's a really magic space, and I was very happy there. The gentrification and the way that uh, the city was approaching it they flung the doors open, and gentrification can feel very much like living on a, a frontier that you were happy on, but now it's been discovered. And the, all of the violence that comes out of the disruption, for me, was fairly predictable, but art making in itself wasn't going to change that. So I had spent... I don't know, maybe a decade and a half, telling people through theater that if you're stuck in a story, you know, they they, they predict you're going to die early. It's probably going to be by gunfire. It's going to be somebody like you who does it. You're, you're, you're born into a story. Mm. Then telling people you don't have to live that story. You can get that story back. Pick up a pen, write your own story. And so my own words, you know, they say teachers often teach what they need to learn. Um, I heard my own words. If I wanted to continue to make art in Oakland, I was going to have to do more than make art in Oakland. I was going to have to fight for the right to make art in Oakland. I think that, by and large, for Oakland to be such a cultural hotspot is what made us attractive. Um, Libby calls it the sauce. (laughs) It is not very revered here. I, I said earlier, prophets are never respected in their own homes. And so the tales of artists that are now in other cities and other states and in other countries, because Oakland wouldn't hold them, breaks my heart. And so when they announced by resolution that Oakland was going to form its first cultural district, the Black Arts Movement Business District, my mentor um, lobbied for a really long time, along with um, Paul Cobb. Paul Cobb and Marvin X drew several circles of people around them and over a period of years finally um, convinced the former um, council person for District 3 
to carry a resolution that established Oakland's first cultural district. So it looked like to me somebody had declared the battleground that there was been the mechanism in the place to perhaps um, try to leverage what art and culture can do and to actually hit the streets in a different way. It turned out to be really, really big work that is had to engage developers and insist that you can't build here unless you're building for us, all of us, mm. not just you. You can't just write us out of the picture. Right. So the idea of pushing back against gentrification or development failed because our city literally opened up the doors and welcomed it. For years, they have not been able to figure out how to raise the, um, the profile of Oakland. And they finally figured it out, repopulated. And so the process has been painful, and it's been necessary to fight back. If you are not going to fight back, what I surmised has been that one should go home and pack because it's better to plan where you're going to go than to become a refugee. So the formation of a community development corporation totally different from people's concept of a community development corporation. We really are interested in the thriving of the marginalized communities. We really are interested in the people who currently live here being able to partake of any benefit that the meteoric development that's going on in Oakland gets to. And it's a really interesting time in Oakland now. Um, a great deal of money is about to come in, almost um, $200 million is about to come into Oakland to refund and restore Oakland. And there's a battle going on now so that the administration doesn't take that money to pay off a deficit mm-hmm. from prior years. Paying off a deficit and refunding and restoring are not the same thing. So the battle goes on. It gets onerous sometimes. I'd rather just make art. But there's an art to community organizing. There is an art to helping people decide that being a genitive is better than either going home and packing or being forced to do so because you can no longer afford your venue fee or the rent on your house. Right or the job that you have that pays minimum wage, it, it doesn't allow you to live in Oakland. Yeah. So what got me into organizing actually was a mathematical um, formula. If you have to earn three times what it costs to live in a place, and market rate quadruples, then if your income has not quadrupled, then it's only a matter of time. Right before you become a refugee. So organizing seemed to be a way to continue breathing. Well, I, I really appreciate and am inspired by that work about, you know, even though it's under duress and under, it's it's what we all have to do. And um, it's inspiring to see you and the activists around that district and around um, creating... Um, sustenance for ongoing black culture in Oakland. I really appreciate that. And thank you for your work, really. I mean, that's what I want to say. 
I wonder. Thank you. I wonder if we could. Thank um, you. Yeah, of course. I I have really appreciated, and again for our listeners. Um, this is KXSFLP San Francisco, 102.5 FM. We're in dialogue with poet and community activist and theater director um, Ayodele Nzinga, who um, has been so gracious to spend uh, more than an hour with us now. And um, would uh, I wonder if I could ask you to perhaps read one more poem as we move forward. I'm going to read Juba for the Teaspoon. I love that poem. From the Horse Eaters. <laughs> Here we go. There are things you know inside without being told. The soul remembers it knows intimately overstanding things stuffed into the darkest parts of closets, tucked into darker closets. What we push down, forget in order to breathe. You know things that are not a question fire-bearing, witness, scorching, embossed inside knowing, like the scent of flowers. You could choose to follow to the root. We are our parents' children. They theirs, and again, backwards to the reasons, the ways, the means, the path chosen, the one way up that defined what out could look like, the places where the rose forked, the blood split, in, broken, the hustlers, those who squandered ease, the beggars left on the roadside, the lions, the sheep, the warriors, the scoundrels, the heroic, and some not so, the lost things on the way to found ground, the sound of the song reverberating, waiting for your part of it, the place where you pick up responsibility that may one day turn the blame or the myth of lifting the bridge to breath in your lungs, the narrow space of now in which you must certainly know you shape what can be after as firmly as it was shaped for you. Will you be forgotten or remembered? Will you be the vibration, the slap on the skin or the drum major, a way maker, steadfast as the horse eaters, determined to go forward like waves rising, corn growing, trees worshiping dog stars. What does the bottom of the ocean demand? What do the bones you stand on scream for? Are you blade or weed? Hunger for the breeder of beggars? A climber of mountains who forgets the valley or a bag of feathers folded in the glittering vain folly, waste of a dream dreamed by those who refused to fail. Held your place in the storm, claimed your survival, wrote it on today like a, the deed to life carved into a rocky hillside, one rusted teaspoon at a time in a land of bulldozers. Wow. That is such a powerful poem. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, the poem um, Juba for the Teaspoon by Ayodele Nzinga. 
um, from the Horse Eaters 2017 on Nomadic Press. Uh, you know, as really as a as a I don't know as a as a privileged and and white cisgendered man reading this work and in essence being invited into a black space, I appreciate that dialogue and I really appreciate and thank you for your powerful powerful work for for liberation and for um community and um i want to just sort of wrap up and and ask so how do you see the role of arts in in general in the movement the role of an artist as a revolutionary as a change maker especially in this time of crisis maybe that was in a way that was (laughs) the poem but uh yeah i'm gonna beat the same drum yeah yeah um (laughs) For me, you heard it in that sermon in 13Z that you opened with. Yeah. This is um, this is the reason for being. I believe that whatever God you follow whispered something in your ear before you took your first breath. And what was whispered in the ear of every artist? Tell the truth about the world and make it new if you have to. I said it before, I'll repeat it again. Artists are first response, responders. We're there to tell the truth about what happened, to point out and carry the pain, the trauma, and not just the pain and the trauma, to hold and to articulate and to broadcast out the joy, the defiance, the resilience, the, the ocean waveness of getting up every day and being still here and still ready to change it. A word causes light to cut dark every day right around dawn. Hmm. Now, if a word can do that, if it can set that perpetual act in stone, that will happen as long as we exist. And words can change us. Art can save us. And I don't think that anybody anybody believes that we can patch up what we had before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Every bad thing that ever happens in the world also has a shadow side, a good side, an opportunity. So the pandemic shined a spotlight on things that we've been sweeping under the rug for years. And yeah, I know that there are people who still want to live in a fantasy. You want to say things like critical race theory or racist, and we don't have a race problem in America. But this conversation isn't going to go away. And we're going to have people like me who remind us that we've been right here on the precipice a lot of times. Mm. But we still can't seem to get it right. So at this point in time, as an artist myself, and I can see it, I feel it. I, I I talk to a lot of other artists. We understand what our job is. We're not going to let the door close again. We're gonna finish the conversation this time. Amen to that. Thank you so much for that uh, that word and uh, and that that prediction and that charge really to finish this conversation and to to finish that change that we need to make. Um, uh, 
We've been blessed today again to be in dialogue and hear the poetry of um, Adelian Zinga, author of Sorrow Land Oracle, just out uh, last year on or, on uh, Nomadic Press. And um, thank you so much for, for coming through and, and speaking with us at such length and, and reading your, your powerful and beautiful poetry. You know, all the stages are closed, so a poet's got to take what a poet can get. <laughs> um, I've got new work coming out. Um, on a not a pipeline, not a pipeline publisher. Okay. Be on the lookout first of all for a new anthology from them called The Nile. I've got a piece in that that should be out in the next couple of months, and then sometime in the summer, if not sooner, I've got a new full-length volume of poetry coming out called Incandescent. Mm-hmm. Look out for that. Great, and maybe you'll have me back again. Absolutely. Um, would you would you be so kind as to maybe finish with one last poem, or we can introduce letters to a relative? I have um, I've got one piece yeah. that um, oh God, how oh, does the computer do that to you? <laughs> I have a piece that's unpublished. You asked for one, and well, so I bought if one. If you'd be so, if you'd be so kind, and and uh, we are very honored to have that reading. <laughs> So this piece is called The Death of the Innocence. The Innocence, they wrote love poems and captured beauty like life could be kept fireflied in a bottle fled slowly, leaving pragmatism on the dresser in a shade of clouded jade. There is little to say of love or beauty both fade or die loud or silent deaths, suffocated under life, which is funkier than you might imagine in innocence, where optimism lives, precariously perched on pearly possibilities. Possible always looks smaller in rearview mirrors. The reason appears larger in rooms where torches have been passed, Memories demand attention, guiding action and inaction. Where is innocence? We are all baptized in the blood. We are in the tilt. We are Amadou Diallo. We are Oscar Grant, Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown. We are legion. Too many names for innocence to remain. We know. Someone must speak the blood, the teeth, with swords, screaming vengeance, balancing scales, sand weighted against blood. No ink can hold this travesty. This... Hold on. This cotton-fueled Feud sprung out the ocean, raids that made warriors slaves. No ink can hold the truth, bound, twisted, buried, invisible. We know because we remember we do not have to be told any more than the bones say. We need no, no more than the dust knows. The dust knows all. It says... There is no innocence. 
just blindness. We know. Knowing writes different poems. It knows the salt of the tale, refuses to be distracted. It knows, listens to the bones, remembers struggle. It knows sweat, persistence, ingenuity, longs for even ground on which to stand. Knows forward, knows storm, knows blues, knows it knows, so it breathes fire, won't be quiet or spilled, no harmonics in chaos. Three eyes on the prize, fire on the water poems, dust and bone poems that talk back to cotton, bowing to unripe ink, and remember being born free with dignity in everything. Poems that sing harvest songs written by old women who dream the bones, remembering, knowing, so we know. That was the death of innocence. Coming soon to a volume of poetry near you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And that's to be in the the um, your your new collection, Incandescence, was that right? No, I gave you something super, super. This is not an incandescent. Oh. You will have to wait for a book after oh, incandescent my goodness. to see this one. Well, thank you so much for sharing new work with us and sharing your work and wisdom and, and your history and process. And um, it's, I, I feel very honored to have been in dialogue with you today. Um, is there any other sort of announcement or... or um, events you want to tell our listening public about before we go? BAMFest 2021 International is happening. We are uh, taking um, calls from artists now. It will be a hybrid event. And look out for theater from us at some point between now and August. BAMFest in August the new book will be out before that. Um, if you get a chance to swing past Baloney, those shows are always free. They're open to the public. Tell, us, tell us again. We'll um, be there in May. Okay. Tell us again the, the, the name of the show and the uh, the where it is and what dates. IMC. I think it's May 17th. Okay. But um, watch out for it online. Um, it will be at Ohlone College. They always announce these events and the readings are free. Okay. And then look for that work to be up someplace between now and August when BAMFest kicks off. We will, certainly. And BAMFest has its own website. And uh, if anybody would like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at wordslanger at gmail.com. And we accept all materials. If you've got questions or want to be directed to events or want to become involved in some of the community work, just hit us up at wordslanger at gmail.com. Great. Well, thank you, Adelia Nzinga, um, Oakland poet, community organizer and activist and brilliant theater director, um, for, for coming along to Frequency Uplift today and, and tonight and reading with us. Um, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, I thought we would end uh, with uh, the the tr the other track you suggested from your 
I think it was, was it 2014 release, Wordslinger? As Wordslinger? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. About right. It's about 10 years old. It might be, might be a little bit older than that. Okay. From Sorrowland Rebellion. Right. And it's available on Bandcamp. And it's a nice album. Go cop that, too. Yeah, absolutely. It was really, I, it was a great listen. I hadn't known of it before you said, hey, go check this out. So this is the track, uh, uh, A Letter to a Relative. Do you want to mm-hmm. introduce that at all? or I, It's, it's probably um, self-sufficient. It, the point was, that is one of those pieces that sort of just came and wrote itself. It was on, I believe, Leonard Peltier's 67th birthday, and I was listening to a radio show. People should listen to more radio. Radio's really good. And there was a, uh, a reading of a letter that he had written from prison, and it just struck a chord in me. So this is about political prisoners, and in particular, it's a response to Leonard Peltier's letter to his relatives and again we engage the environment and and being human across lines well this is from the album Sorrowland rebellion uh check it out on bandcamp by Alade- i i'm sorry Adele and zinga but under the aka word slanger and this is that thanks for tuning in to kxsflp san francisco and thanks uh, to you, Adele, for, for coming through and reading and sharing. My honor. Thanks a lot. And uh, I'll see you next time. Right. I was all locked up in jail and thrilled
bouquets to my brother for over 30 of your 63 summers for being the breath of Crazy Horse. I cry out to you in the name of Ann and Zinger. Never give up. Never give up. Protect the future. Honor the past. Never give up. We're all in cages. They came for you. And none of us are safe. The wolves. The wolves, my brother, whistle as they walk amongst the blind sheep. Pray for the sheep, my brother. Removed from the earth, encased in stucco and concrete, linoleum, dead trees, cultivated greed, chained by created need. We prescribe our own demise. Soldiers grow like blades of grass. Protect the future, honor the past. Never give up. The blade of grass you wish to be. So like water, you could flow free. You would find Mother Earth much changed. It would tell you of our common plight. The mournful song the water sings. The way the sun reflects the waste of those who use war as a root for soldiers. Power, like money, grass, protect the future, honor the past. Never give up. Never Chess games played with human beings reveal wage slaves. A new company store, diseased governments, ethnic cleansing, battles against the criminalized poor, and the forever, forever, forever war. Soldiers grow like blades of grass, protect you, future. My brother, the trees would whisper to you of depleted uranium, acid wrath. How the weary earth answers Tsunami, cyclone, and hurricane We are all in cages All of us, my brother, all of us At the mercy of the insane grow like blades of grass Protect the future, honor the past Never give up My brother, I say all and nothing has changed Destiny is calling here All any of us have is the breath of crazy horse cries of man and I stand with you until you stand in sun again. We shall never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Soldiers grow like blades of grass. Protect the future. Right the past. Never give up. The blades of grass. And never give up. Never give up. Protect the future, honor the past. Soldiers grow like blades of grass. Protect the future, honor the past. Soldiers grow like blades of grass. Protect the future, honor the past. Soldiers grow like blades of grass. Protect the future, honor the past. Soldiers grow like blades of grass. Protect the future, honor the past. Soldiers grow like blades of grass. Protect the future, honor the past. Soldiers grow like blades of grass. Protect the future, honor the past. Soldiers grow like blades of grass. 
That was from Sorrowland Rebellion, a work by Word Slanger, or Ayodele Nzinga, who we were honored and blessed to be in conversation for the last hour and uh, change, 20, 30 minutes. So we have some things to catch up with, some uh, thank yous, some this and that, and maybe even play some music, which... uh, we are want to do and I'm sure I'm not going to catch up with my whole playlist because that was an amazing conversation and some amazing poetry so again thanks to Oakland poet Ayodele Nzinga we're in dialogue for the last hour and 20 or so uh, and heard various poems including some new work uh, and uh, most recently Published work is Sorrowland Oracle from Nomadic Press. Check that out. Check that out online. Check out her work uh, through Lower Bottom Players or the Black Arts Movement Business District CDC uh, and support and stand forth with your word and your truth. And we want to thank these guys first. Several guys. We're going to do two. Just back-to-back, because we have to. So here we go with this. Support for KXSF comes from Catfish, a San Francisco-based trio that believes live music is a critical part of San Francisco's culture, and that supporting independent radio bolsters the artists and venues that keep that culture thriving. Check out their Instagram page, at catfish.antiband. That's catfish with a K. Thank you for supporting 102.5 FM AXSF. And one more because I got behind on my duties. Support for KXSF comes from Chris Stover Properties, a San Francisco realtor who understands the city and can help you navigate the market whether you're a buyer or a seller. Chris believes that contributing to KXSF strengthens our diverse community by keeping live music and the arts alive. Contact Chris by calling him at 415-786-8020. Thanks for supporting independent radio KXSF 102.5 FM San Francisco. And indeed, thank you, Chris Dover. Thank you, Catfish. Thank all you all out there. If you are able to support us here at Community Radio by getting in contact, it's a lot of work to be done, or dropping us a few dollars at the website, kxsf.fm. So where shall I go from here? Because that was a pretty overwhelming literary and intellectual experience. And I think... 
I think I'm going to go with uh, some women who are an incredible uh, group of musicians from um, Africa, from the Sahel Desert area, the Les Filles de Elik Haddad, the Daughters of Elik Haddad, uniting the 10-day percussion and folk chanting with Torag guitar. They have almost released, put some pre-release singles to a live album that was recorded just pre-COVID in Brooklyn on one of their uh, tours. This is the track, Sir Bajo. Thanks again for tuning in to KXSFLP San Francisco, the Frequency Uplift, and thanks for hearing the words of Adelia Nzinga. Here we go with this.
Thank you. my spirit but don't test my patience i only fear god that you can meet thy maker i be feeding my soul i go make nothing something show you my love i don't feel nothing nothing but all you for sure now watch me go show you something
On behalf of all of us here at KXSF, we'd like to thank the People's Life Fund for awarding San Francisco Community Radio a grant to help continue our efforts combating racism, hate, and violence. The People's Life Fund was founded by Bay Area resistors in 1971 to redirect refused war taxes toward life-sustaining purposes. The goal of the People's Life Fund is to put their money where their mouth is, and KXSF appreciates their support in helping fund our efforts to provide a platform for underserved voices and for issues impacting our community. Thank you, People's Life Fund. And one more thank you to do. Kashi is in the house with Interstellar Nights. Dusty Kashi Flowers on his way with new music and poetry. But first, let's thank these guys. Support for KXSF comes from Lark in the Morning, a Berkeley retailer featuring musical instruments from all over the world, such as Native American ritual drums, Romanian balalaikas, Irish folk flutes, and Hawaiian-style slide guitars. In August, Lark in the Morning also hosts the Adult and Family Lark Camp, featuring music, song, and dance workshops. Explore their store located at 830 Gilman Street in Berkeley, or visit their website at larkinthemorning.com. Thanks for supporting independent radio, KXSF. Thank you. Thank you, Lark in the Morning. Thank you to the People's Life Fund. Thank you to all you out there in Radio Land for tuning in to KXSF, the Frequency Uplift, hearing the uplift and the wisdom and the dialogue from uh, Oakland's uh, Dele Nzinga, the word slanger, who came through for oh, 90 minutes and uh, shared lots of poetry, lots of wisdom, lots of history from the struggle. Let's go out here with uh, perhaps some of the music that we had talked about. This is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania's Afroyaki Music Collective, a Amazing group, which I'm not going to go too deeply into, but music for collective liberation. And we're going to start with the track in Surrealista. Our friend Kashi is in the house getting ready, so stay tuned for more music and more words and more wisdom from the Interstellar Nights. And now...
Nobody stopping me, impossibly, no equality Until women stand up in solidarity, no equality 